verse 17, we'll read it through. I will deal with this a little bit, but I, if you've studied with me long, you understand, to use them great big words that I like to use to make everybody think I know what I'm talking about, I am more of a textual thematic expositor. I have no idea what that means, but it sounds really cool, doesn't it? Uh, it's like neurothoracic surgery. What does that mean? I try to get your head through your chest. Um, um, but basically, what it is, is that he deals with different themes. But I deal with it in the text, of the context of chapter 11, in the context of 1 Corinthians, in the context of the 66 books of the Bible. Okay, expositor, expo, ex, exposition of the word is make the sense of it. Explain it to me. Okay, so today's message is sort of going to be laying the theme out and why Paul has now changed his theme. And you'll see how it plays out here in a minute. Let's read this. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for if you are eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this, I will not praise you. For I receive from the Lord that which I also deliver to you. That the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must have examined himself in doing so. In so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink the cup. For if he eats and drinks and eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak, sick, and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining manners I will arrange when I come. Amazing text, truthfully. Uh, uh, amazing text that probably is a long list of texts that are misunderstood, but it's probably something that we really need to be aware of. I believe this may be one of the most critical things that is lacking in the body of Christ today. Okay, And, and I'll deal with this in the weeks to come, and, and you'll get it today. 
Because in this text, he's dealing with, it is the Lord's table, what we call it. Some will call it communion. I call it the Lord's table, Lord's supper, and I'll show you that and why I say that. I don't care. The, the issue isn't, what do you call it? The issue is, what is it? All right. Here's the thing that is amazing about the Lord's table. There are two, um, they call them sacraments, uh, two rituals, two rites that uh, we have not been given the option to neglect. Okay, If you're in the holy inspired red leather edition of the Bible, you'll note that both of these sacraments were commanded by the Lord Jesus himself. One is water baptism. The other one is the Lord's table. God did not ask you to think about this. He did not tell you, what do you think about this? They are commanded to the children of God. They are commanded, and yet they were both given as an example in his own life. And if we say we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, how can we negate these two ordinances? These, they're commands. They're emphatic. They're non-negotiable. They're not there to say, well, was it a cultural thing? I've already dealt with cultural. All right. And so when I think about these, uh, it is vital. It is of critical importance for a child of God to remember these and obey these. The Lord, us to- the Lord told us to do it. Okay. Um, they're commanded. All right. And they should... I think the tragedy is they should both be on the highest priority of our lives. Um, They are items of obedience. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever struggled with the will of God? Okay, this is what I mean. What would you have me do? Have you ever struggled with that? Uh, Anybody? I struggled with it. I think we all kind of struggle with it, right? Sometimes. Let me tell you something. The will of God is you be baptized and you partake of the Lord's table. If those are not priorities in your life, you really believe you have the capability of finding the other? These are priorities. Jesus wants these done. I don't have to struggle about this. I don't have to wonder what he meant by it. Um, Mary heard it, and I've known it and heard it reiterated to me. God in Scripture has his revealed will. If I understand his revealed will, his concealed will is a piece of cake to find. But I see people struggle with his concealed will. Why? Because I'm not obedient to his revealed will. All right? Listen, um, some of you know my testimony when I was released from prison. Um, I had accepted Christ and had begged him to save me. I didn't have an altar call. I didn't have Billy Graham or any of his people. I didn't have Chuck Colson come in. None of them other people came to me. I got on my knees weeping and said, save me. And he did. When I got out, now you need to understand, I wasn't raised in the church. The extent of my religiosity was this. I knew the Lord's Prayer. And then the 23rd Psalm was on the backside of the obituary for my father. That was my theology, okay? But I did know this. You must be baptized. When I got released within 24 hours, 
I was underwater. <laughs> okay? Because I wasn't a rocket scientist. I wasn't a theologian. But I did know that God had saved me, and I did know that I needed to be obedient. And I tell people, they say, well, does baptism save you? No, no, it has nothing to do with it. Okay, but let me tell you something. If that command is tough for you to be baptized, wait till it starts messing with your pride. Because it's really going to flush then. I mean, you think baptism's tough. The problem with baptism is you have to come back up out of the water. Okay. I'm thinking it was just keeping and they're absent from the body, present with the Lord, and sanctified, holy, and glorified. Okay, um, so I, I want you to understand that. All right. The second one is, and we have become mechanical about it, is the Lord's table. See, baptism. I am publicly identifying with Christ. Baptism doesn't do anything for the person getting immersed, but I tell you what, it will fire up a congregation. Okay. It will just flat out light them up. Why? There is a new brother. There is a new sister who stood before me and said, I no longer live, but I have been raised to walk in the newness of life. And that person there, me and them are going to have a blast. Okay? The other one, the Lord's table, is to remind me of my death on the cross. Not yes, I said that exactly how I wanted to say it. When I partake of the Lord's table, I think of Terry's death on the cross of Calvary. Because I was supposed to be on the cross. I was supposed to pay the penalty of my sins forever and ever and ever. And he said, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, will go in your place. Every time I partake of the Lord's table, I am in communion with the Lord's cross. It reminds me of my death. I am dead. The Lord's table today seems to be an add-on. We do it at the end of a worship service, or we do it in the middle of a worship service, or, or we may do this, or, you know, whatever it is. Listen, it is not to be a formal ritual. It should be something that is part, uh, and it should be something that is woven into the life of every believer. It should be something that a believer is desiring to do. It should be on the priority of a believer's life. I need to look and say, when are we partaking of the Lord's table so I can be there and renew my communion with my death at Calvary and my life in Jesus Christ? That's the Lord's table. So I've already taught on this in chapter 10, and I wanted to show to you in chapter 10 that it wasn't this, it's not a symbol. We have it, it's symbolic. No, it's not. It's real. I am in communion with Jesus Christ. I am identifying with his death and his resurrection. Why? Listen... Only one has been raised from the grave in purity and holiness. Guess what? It ain't you. So when you take of the Lord's table, you're saying, I am identifying with your death. All right, what does that mean if I identify with a death? I know the death, but the resurrection is who? Christ. 
It isn't you. He doesn't hang on a cross to kill you and raise you again. He hangs on a cross that you die and he walks in the newness of that earthen vessel. That's that born again thing. We've got to get a hold of this. Communionism, well, I didn't like the flavor of that grape. Gee, many crickets. Okay, uh, when I had the privilege of teaching in Russia back in April uh, or May or whenever it was, uh, they had a lot of snow there, so it felt like winter. But anyway, um, they, I got the privilege, the first Sunday of the month, guess what they celebrate? Lord's Table. Okay, and um, all of a sudden it dawned on me when they rolled this tray out, they did a common cup. Okay, and I just looked at that and said, Oh, man. But I was the first preacher, therefore, guess what? (laughs) God's looking out for me. Okay? And they break bread. Okay? You know how we got the little crackers? They got this flat thing, and they just tear a piece off. Or Actually, they hold it out there, and you tear a piece off, because that's what it says, break bread. Okay, and the other thing that kind of shocked me is they serve wine. And I was like, well, that's the weirdest grape juice I ever drank. And here, take this. <laughs> okay, but anyway. But it's, it's, see, why? Do you understand the joy I had with a bunch of people that don't speak my language? And yet I was communing at Calvary's cross with eternal brothers and sisters. Look at the church in America today. How many people in the church in America today put an emphasis on the Lord's table? I I had a dealing with somebody. uh, They left the church. They weren't going back to church anymore. And the reason was that they had got this new worship team and it was too loud. And so my first comment to them was, sit in the back. And they said, well, it's, it's loud back there too. I said, I'll tell you what then. Stay outside in the foyer when the music stops and they break open the word, then come in. Well, that just seems kind of rude and this, that, and the other. And I said, all right, then try this one. Are you telling me you refuse to commune at Calvary's cross with the brothers and sisters of Christ? Lord's table. They went back to church. Okay, Why? We've been called to do this. We've been called to do this. Um, We need to encourage one another in this area. Um, It needs to be part of us. You know, I've heard people say, well, we lack fellowship. Well, yeah, look at the priority we put on the Lord's table. Um, Those who don't, let let me see if I can be as blunt with this as I can. Those who do not, um, put a priority on the Lord's table, always struggle with dying to self. Okay? If the Lord's table is not a priority in your life, um, I don't have to worry about you dying to self. You won't do it. Why? That's what the Lord's table is. Okay? See, He resurrected. You didn't. (laughs) All right? He came up out of the grave. I can still see your bodies. All right? And if I die on that cross, then the newness you see is who? It's Christ. And I identify that dying to self 
And my celebration, that's why I called the message this, my celebration of the Lord's table. I can look at this text and understand I celebrate the day I died. And it's so cool. Okay? I mean, have you ever really thought of it from that perspective? It ain't me. <laughs> okay? And, and that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. And, and we need to understand here, and I want to share with you just a little bit, because to say Paul is a little upset, it may be the greatest understatement I've ever made. Let me show you what I'm talking about. When I talk about I am in textual thematic exposition, we're changing themes, okay? He, he comes out in verse 2 of chapter 11. He says, I want to praise you for this. What was that? That you asked me the question on God's design in the relationship between a man and a woman. Okay? I praise you for that. That is so cool that you struggled with it, you see the struggle with it, and you're asking, what would the Lord have us do? And we looked at that. That was the theme in the context of dealing with a church that had divisions and strife and the world had a greater influence on the church than the church was in the world. But in verse 17, he says this, but in giving this instruction, what? I do not praise you. Why? You're not listening to me. You're not listening to what I explained to you when you come together for the Lord's table. It was a serious problem. Okay. Now let me ask you a question. And you don't have to answer me, but I want you to think about this. I say that this was a serious problem. Um, is the priority in your life the Lord's table? Okay. And, and we sit there and we say, you know, I try to make it, you know, it's the first Sunday of the month, it's summer, vacation, and we've got all these things that we go through. How serious is the Lord's table? God had moved into this congregation and taken the life of some of the members for the way they were treating the Lord's table. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, if God's coming in and striking people dead, I'm thinking he's serious about it, wouldn't you say? Linsky made this statement. They were executed for, by God for what they had done at the Lord's table, unquote. You just, what? Yeah, God came in and killed some for the way they were doing the Lord's table. Have you ever looked at the Lord's table that serious? He never killed anybody for not getting baptized, did he? Well, that we know of. But people die for abusing the Lord's table? I don't know about you, but I'm thinking that maybe he's serious about it. It shouldn't be something that says, well, you know, let's hang this on the end of the worship service or let's hang this on the front of the worship service or let's, you know, let's, we'll just do this. You know, see, some people do it every Sunday. I'm going to deal with these things. If we've got to do it every time we come together, we've got to do it. That's not the issue. The issue is do I understand what it is? It must be serious because he also said not only has he killed some, there were some who were sick and there were some who were weak. So when the Apostle Paul writes this, he's saying, you know what? You better do something about this. <laughs> and I'm thinking, duh. I will be going over in the weeks to come the history of the Lord's table, where it came from and why. 
um, the Passover meal, and it was at the, that evening that he speaks of here in this text, uh, where he basically fulfilled the Passover and instituted what is called the Lord's table at this time. Um, but basically, if you know, if you've been under my teaching, you understand that I'm moving into a theme now, and I'm going to try to give you some framework to hang this theme on. Um, it's the remembrance of the Lord's table. So I guess my response or my question for your response is, is it important to you? And then I would have to ask, is it a priority for you? I see people who forsake the assembly together. Okay, do you understand that they forsake the Lord's table? Do you understand what they're saying? And I argue that those people who do not put a priority on the Lord's table do not put a priority on dying to self. I mean, that evening Christ was explaining, I'm starting a new covenant. Okay, and the word new that he uses in the text means like something that's never existed before. It's, the illustration is you can get a new car. Okay, a new car means here's a car, now here's a new car. Um, best illustration of that is Terry went out and bought a spaceship. Okay, that's new. It's different, isn't it? I mean, it ain't, it ain't like he wouldn't got another spaceship. I mean, it's not like his car, his motorcycle, his donkey or anything. We need to pay attention to that kind of stuff. He says, I'm going to start something you haven't seen. And so what I wanted to do is I want to go see the church. Okay, because I have this really weird, quirky thing about me. Okay, God is the same yesterday today and depending on the contemporary's lifestyle in which you exist he will be the same forever now let me ask you a question the manifestation of the lord jesus christ is the church why do we believe we have to change it well that was in the oh oh oh, oh. is he the same yesterday today and forever okay go with me to acts chapter 2 Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to look at the church. Okay? Because this is the church. Peter has just gotten done preaching. 38 of chapter 2, he says this, Repent, and each of you be baptized. Oop, there it is. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All right? Drop down to verse 41. What's it say? So then, those that what? Received the Lord. Gladly received the word. Do you understand that? They received the word. You know, what do you go to church to hear today? What do most Christians go to church to hear today? You know, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, if you run into a person who was coming out of church... And you ask them, did you worship today? And they would respond, yes. And you ask them, how do you know you worshiped? You know what they would have said? The preaching of the gospel was powerful today. Ask them today what they will say. Did you worship today? And they'll say yes. And you know what they'll say? 11 out of 10 times. The music was good. Okay. 
Here it says, those who had received his word were baptized and the church that day added 3,000. I wonder what the worship music was that day. I wonder if they did contemporary, if it was blended. I wonder what they were doing that day. I can tell you what they did that day. Peter walked right into the middle of the people who crucified Jesus and basically said, you murdered Messiah. (laughs) Yay, let's make friends and influence people. Okay? That's what he said. Messiah's coming. You killed him. Can you believe it? That was his message. But in this text, I find what I call the four foundations for the body of Christ. Four foundations. Now, you've got to understand something. There's only 120 disciples. Okay, earlier you'll find that. There's 120 of them. Jesus basically stopped death and disease for three years in Israel and he could get 120. Okay? Peter comes out the gate after getting his seminary PhD. And he did what? 3,000. Boom! Right there. You got 120 cent. Uh-oh. What's really bizarre is two days later he preaches again and there's 5,000. Now he's got a church of 8,000. Took John MacArthur 34 years to get 8,000. <laughs> okay? I, I talked to him about that. But I can find four things in here that are the foundations of the church that I'll I'll ask you. Where do you stand? It said 3,000 were added. And it says here in verse 42, here's the foundations. They were continually. You know what that means, right? All the time. (laughs) Okay, continually. That would be all the time. Okay. They were devoting themselves. You know what that means, right? It was a priority. It was first and foremost on their minds. Devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Okay? Apostles' teaching. Number one, if you want to celebrate the church life, is that you need to be exposed to theology. Where do you go get theology today? It's got to be in a Baptist college or Christian college or a seminary, right? Why? Well, I can argue and say, well, the church ain't doing it. You've got to go somewhere. <laughs> but truthfully, if you were going to get theology, God said, here's where you're going to get it. Where are you going to get it? Church. We're all going to gather together. And guess what? We should be devoted continually to that. Why? Because we with gladness receive the word. Okay, I heard it stated down there when it was in Albuquerque uh, that they wanted anointed preaching. And Wayne jumped up here and says, we need anointed hearing. Okay, we've got anointed preaching, but we need ears anointed. Okay, because you can have anointed preaching without anointed hearing and all you have is, anyway, church in America. Anyway, <laughs> just, just kidding. All right, so the first thing you see is there's doctrine. They're teaching theology. Hate that word, don't you? It's that theology and doctrine. That's it. It's just that dogma stuff. Okay? But these people were devoted to it. They were continually. Then, what happened? Fellowship. Literally, it's a derivative of the word we get koinonia, but it folds out into dokimos. Okay? So, it is this fellowship of serving. 
Okay? I mean, that's literally how you could translate it. It says fellowship in this New American Standard translation, but it means that we were fellowshipping. What that means is, is that I was so attuned to you and having such a blast with you that I seen your needs before your needs showed up. And I was already there to meet your needs. Now, I'm not talking about your spiritual stuff. That's coming from the apostles' teaching. I'm talking about, you know what? They needed a fence put up. You know what? That young lady right there, she's single. She's kind of scared. She's by herself. She doesn't have any family around. She probably needs her tires rotated. Maybe she needs a brake job, oil change, something like that. Why? I see it now. Why? That's fellowship and serving. Why? I'm being exposed to what? Theology. I am being exposed to the mind of God. And God said, Terry, you were in such desperate need. Gee, many crickets, you didn't even know it. That's how desperate you were. So now I want to put all these people around you, and they're going to be around you, and guess what? You're going to see their desperate needs sometimes before they even know it. And that comes out of it. And understand this, the verb is all still intact. Devoting themselves continually to what? Teaching and fellowship serving. How often? Continually. And not only that, they were devoted to it. Look what else the body does. Breaking of bread. Okay, that's when I bake. You can't just eat it. You have to break it. Okay, it has a shell on it. Okay, breaking of bread. Okay, this is a step beyond fellowshipping. Okay, now I'm going to show you some things about this, but it's a step beyond fellowshipping. Why? It includes the Lord's table. Listen, if I'm fellowshipping with you, okay, and I'm, I'm, we're getting to know each other, you know, we're just, we're hanging together, okay? And yet in that hanging together, we're helping each other. Okay, and I mean, you know, you need some firewood. Hey, you know what I happen to have this dead tree and I cut it down. Here, take some of my firewood. Whatever. Okay, I remember sometime one lady was bagging up her grass. Okay, she bagged her grass and she says, well, instead of hauling it, you know, to the dump, can I give it to you and you give it to your horses? Well, nice gesture, but if you take grass like that that is cut, that it balls up in the horse and they choke and die and I don't have to feed them no more. What an idea! No, <laughs> but anyway, um, sorry, honey. <laughs> I know fellowshipping and serving, and fellowshipping and hay. Okay, but anyway, but you see, it's stuff like that that we pay attention to. She just said, "We have these horses, and I got this grass." And I said, "Well, how about we do it this way? How about I bring my horses over, turn them loose in your yard, and let them cut your grass, and they can fertilize it too." It's, it's kind of a. Uh, she didn't want to do that, but anyway. Um, but it goes beyond. Why? Because I have this fellowship and serving, but also, you know what happens? I join with you people at the foot of Calvary. And we can all embrace each other and say, guess what? We're all dead. And we're raised to walk in the newness of life that is Jesus Christ. Okay, how cool is that? All right, so what we have the church, let me pick up my eyes. What we have in the church, teaching, fellowship service, communion with the Lord and one another in the Lord's table, and then last but not least, what? Prayer. Prayer. I was teaching in the men's Bible study this morning. How hard is prayer? 
I mean, the event of praying, how difficult is that? I mean, does it, does it take a place? I mean, do you have to have candles, a, a prayer rug, a closet? I need my prayer closet. Well, I can't find a prayer closet because my closets all have stuff in it. Okay, but right? But what does it take to pray? But let me ask you a question. How effective are you at it? What keeps you from praying? See, my idea is that's communion. Okay, why? Communion is communication. So I'm communing with God through prayer. So if you look at the basic church, what do you see? Teaching of doctrine, theology, right? Fellowship serving, right? Lord's table, communion at a deeper level, okay? We're going to the cross together. Fourth prayer. Four foundations for the church. That's the four dimensions. You know, when I was in Russia, I seen that in an amazing way. In an amazing way. I remember Valeri making a comment. He says, I need you to pray for us. He says, on Wednesday night before a message and choir practice, um, we have a time of prayer, usually an hour to two hours, depending. And he says, and I just can't get that many people to come out and pray. I said, really? He says, yeah. And I said, well, how many people are in the church? He said, 233. I said, well, how many come out and pray? He says, 175. He said, I ain't praying for you. <laughs> Sit there, cause me to covet, envy. <laughs> Causing your brother to sin, Bubba. Okay. And I made this statement in our, our Sunday school class. Why are we afraid to pray in public? Embarrassed? Afraid you're going to say something stupid? You might if you're talking to me, but I thought prayer wasn't really talking to me. Okay? You know what causes you not to want to pray? You know, that first time, I remember the first time I was asked to pray in public. And I got up for an offering, and the pastor looked over at me and said, Would you pray? And I was like, My throat shrank about that big around, and somebody poured that little bitty hole full of sand. And so I prayed this way. <laughs> Why? Because I was scared, and I've been in counseling ever since. Okay? It's just, it's just, it's just most, I've been scarred for life. Okay? You know why? Because your pride says that what? What if I don't say something right? What are you going to say wrong? You're laying your heart out. But that's the body of Christ. That is the church. Look in verse 46. Day by day. I like this. There's that word again. Continuing. <laughs> with one mind in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Togetherness of heart. Okay? Togetherness of heart. You know what they realized? Now, you got to understand, this is the Pentecost season. It's a great festival in Israel. And they were all, you would have thousands and thousands and thousands of pilgrims coming into Jerusalem. And they would walk into Jerusalem, they're going to do the little thing through the temple and the offering and get through the money changers and all the rest of it. And all of a sudden they got this fisherman from Galilee preaching this thing about Messiah and how the Jews and the Gentiles conspired and they killed Messiah. But don't worry, he raised again. And they're sitting there, and it says their eyes were open. They heard it, and they were what? 
They grabbed that word. They received his word with hook. And they said, guess what? We're staying here with you. I ain't going back to Cyrene. I am not going back to Galilee. I'm not going back up to Antioch. I don't want to go over to Crete. I'm not going back to Rome. I'm staying here because the covenant is fulfilled. And you told me he's coming back. And I want to be here waiting when he comes back. So they've given up their jobs, and all of a sudden you have a church that had 120 people who had been kicked out of the synagogue to boot, and now they've got 3,000. Now they've got 8,000, and it says they were continuing one mind in the temple. Okay? They were gathering for the teaching. They were breaking bread. They were serving one another out of Koinonia. Also, apart from the death of Christ, there was a practice in the, in the time of Israel that spoke of this fellowship meal. And it was always described as the breaking of bread. Okay? You've done it before, the breaking of bread. Okay? You, you, let me explain to you. You go over to somebody's house. All right? uh, I just experienced this um, when I was staying with these people down in Albuquerque. Uh, and, and you sit down at the table and you just sit there and look at each other. And when do you start? I mean, the food's sitting there. I mean, when are we, is this one of them praying households? Is this a non-praying household? Do we stand up and sing a hymn? Do we sit down? How, how do we know when we're supposed to start eating? Okay? Fellowship meal is what it was. It was called, you'd call it a love feast. Okay? We love one another. We're here for one another. But we're all standing around saying, who's going to get the thing started? Okay? In Israel, if you did this at the time of the writing of this book, You would go to the house and the host of the house, you knew it was time to start eating because the host of the house would sit down and he would grab the bread and he would break the end of it off. And that meant food's on. Okay. And they called it the breaking of bread. Come to my house and let us break bread. Why? Let's have a meal together. We're going to have a meal together. Okay. Jesus took that same event. They had just had the Passover what did they have? Meal. It was a feast. It was a great celebration. And then at the end of it, he hangs this thing on there and he breaks a piece of bread. And he says, this is my body. He takes a drink of wine. He says, this is the cup of the new covenant is in my blood. So you would have this feast and you would have this great meal. And at the end of the meal, you would have the Lord's table as you and I would know it. Now, listen, God said, do the Lord's table, the love feast. Hey. If you're Baptist, you have a potluck. Right? I mean, that's basically what it is. It's a potluck. And at the end of the potluck, you do what? Lord's table. All right? So you can see that, how it started. So there was a synonymous meaning when the breaking of bread and that you had this meal and you would have the Lord's table. Okay, and the early church was dependent on one another. That's the, I think the, I remember running this young man uh, down in, in Albuquerque, a huge church, and he's just got thrown into a ministry, and he's basically became sink or swim ministry. And he looked at me and he says, I just feel desperate. And I just looked at him, smiled real big, and said, Good. <laughs> That's the perfect place to be. Why? I said, Just live your life desperate. Why? How many in this, just this group right now? Right now, you guys who are here, I want to talk about everybody here. Okay, uh, Adam, I'm talking to you too, Bubba. Okay, everybody, I want everybody to pay attention to what I'm saying right now. How dependent are you on one another? I was at uh, MacArthur's church, 
but a few years ago, I go out there for the Shepherds Conference occasionally. And I went out there, and I run into this guy. He had his family with him. And he just we just heard the word proclaimed, and he was kind of, you see a lot of people do that. They move around. Their legs ain't on the ground. And they don't touch no more, and they're just like, whoa. Okay, and the word was just powerful. And I said, uh, how long have you been in Grace Community Church? Looked down at his watch, and he said, 45 minutes. He said, I just got here. I said, oh, on vacation? Are you here for the Shepherds Conference? He says, no. We sold everything that we had in Michigan. We're moved here because we know this man's holding firm to the word of God. So I was going to talk to his elders and see if they could find us a job and a place to live. Not me over with a feather. Michigan to L.A. Basin? What was you thinking? Okay. Don't you know he's on the World Wide Web? <laughs> Listen to it on a computer. <laughs> okay, of course, Michigan, they got state bug as a mosquito. But anyway, um, but do you understand what I'm trying to get at? What was important to those, that family? The Word of God. Why? The four cornerstones of the church. Ask yourself a question. Look around right now. Are you dependent on these people? Serious question. Why? What's the priority of the Lord's table in your life? If I understand that that cross is where I died, all of a sudden I realize I'm pretty dependent, ain't I? I mean, I'd even go to the point saying, I'm needy. I'm needy. And you think about that kind of stuff. When I read this text, it's amazing. See, they would eat fellowship meal. Why? Some of them didn't have the ability. I've left everything. I don't have anything. If you look at it, remember Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property. They brought the money in and gave it to the church. Right? And they fell over dead because they lied about how much was. What we always miss, that's chapter 5. What you'll miss is the end of chapter 4. You know what happened in the end of chapter 4? Barnabas had sold a whole bunch of property and possessions and he had given it to the church. And the church people were going, wow, did you see what Barnabas did? He sold all of this. He liquidated his assets so that the bride of Christ could meet the needs of this growing fellowship of people. And everybody just sit there and go, whoa, that man is overpowered by the power of God. So Ananias is fire, so I don't do that. Okay, and we all know they were lying to the Holy Spirit, and that's a bad thing. <laughs> I mean, you know, and I, but yet, how many in this room have lied to the Holy Spirit? How many in this room have ever said, I will do that, and then don't? You know, that's the same as lying to the Holy Spirit. So, you still alive? What a merciful God we serve, huh? <laughs> anyway. So, you have these feasts going on. And you have all these people moving into Jerusalem. But I want to show you something. Okay, Go to Acts 20, chapter 20. So now we're a few years out from the Pentecost event. This is one of my most favorite texts of Scripture. And you'll see why in a minute. And you'll say, yeah, I see why, Terry... Okay, so you see the Lord's table developing. You have this thing that you call the love feast, and usually at the end of the love feast, the love feast is just that. Agape means I'm giving 
without ever expecting anything in return. So you'd have these love feasts, agape feasts. Uh, best I can conclude, um, the Corinthians caused the death of the love feast. <laughs> okay? But this love feast was, I'm giving and I'm giving and I'm giving. Why? Because we have a church of 120 and that's manageable. And within three days time, we have a church of 8,120. And I'm thinking that it's not manageable. Who's going to do the nursery? Okay? I mean, you know, it's one thing to say, we have three kids in the nursery. I was talking to a guy who has the youth ministry in Hoffman Town. Fifth grade down, 450 kids. Oh. <laughs> he says, I'm desperate. No, you're a fool. <laughs> There's nothing desperate about that. <laughs> you're nuts. Okay? Anyway, um, you have this thing, and it's developing, and you see it developing. Of course, people take advantage of it. I agree, absolutely. Okay, Acts chapter 20, verse 7. What does it say? On the first day of the week. Everybody know what day that is, right? Sunday. (laughs) Not Monday. Sunday is the first day of the week. Everybody says, well, you're not honoring the Sabbath. You know what? I can't honor the Sabbath. (laughs) It's impossible. You want me to preach on Saturday? Then you guys are honoring the Sabbath, and I'm sinning because I'm working. All right, so anyway, first day of the week, here we go. First day of the week, they gather together to do what? Break bread. Paul began talking to them, okay? They did what? They've had the Lord's table. It's the first day of the week. They had the Lord's table. Paul began talking to him, talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until... Hmm. Till when? <laughs> Gotta love that. (laughs) I like that. He says he was going from city to city, strengthening the saints with what? Lengthy messages. My kind of thing going on there. Look, how bad was it? This is really cool. I want to read the rest of it. Just footnote here. But he says, uh, there were many lamps in the upper room. Why? It's getting dark. He's going until midnight. He's preaching. And they were gathered there. And a young man named something, Eticus, was sitting on the windowsill. And he was sinking into a deep sleep. He's a Baptist. And as Paul began talking, he was overcome with sleep and he fell from the third floor window and was picked up dead. Okay, so you people who try to sleep when I'm preaching know that death is near. No, just kidding. (laughs) It might be if you're on the third floor. If you're on the third floor, you have another problem. Okay, he was picked up dead. Paul went down, fell upon him after embracing him. Do not be troubled for this life is in him. When he'd gone back up, he'd broken bread, eaten All right, that is, he's feeding this kid who's just raised from the dead. And he talked to them a long while until daybreak. Yeah, I'm digging it. I'm digging it. That first Sunday night I was in Albuquerque. Uh, I had taught down there two years ago. And uh, we heard a message, and it was over about uh, 930 and they had a little fellowship time in, in, the, in the fellowship mall, they call it now, and until about 10. And then the people that I was staying with took me back to their, to their room, and we sat down. They said, have you had dinner? And I said, no, and I fixed up this big old slice of ham and stuff like that. And, and then all of a sudden, the husband walks out, and he's got this notebook that they had given for uh, two years ago at the Equip Conference. And he opens it up to Fellowship of the Sun. That's what I taught on. He opens it up. He's got all these notes in here. He says, I've had your tapes, and I need to ask you these questions. And we sit up till 2 o'clock in the morning. Going over these notes. And, you know, and I was trying to say, well, what did I say on the tape? <laughs> That's what I meant. 
Okay? And that's what they wanted to do. We did that. Monday morning, boom, right off the bat, uh, we were going to play golf. I couldn't go play golf because there's too many windows around. But uh, um, there were. (laughs) Somebody knocked one out, and I wasn't there. Okay, but anyway, um, uh, 6 o'clock in the morning, I get up, and we talk from 6 till 11 on the second coming of Christ, Calvinism, Arminianism, and you name it, we covered it. We did that Tuesday night, Wednesday night, or Wednesday morning. Tuesday morning, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, and we said our goodbyes Wednesday. Long messages, sharing the scriptures. Okay, they had the Lord's table. Okay, but it came with a common meal. Okay, what is nice is they had the Lord's table and then there was a time of preaching. Okay, how do we do it? First of the week, come together. It's followed by a sermon. I think about the love feast, the breaking of bread, the love feast. Uh, those of you who remember when the Koreans were meeting here in the church, after their worship service, you know what they did every Sunday? had a common meal. Every Sunday, they had a common meal to get, come together. Um, the love feast wasn't commanded. It was just a holdover from the culture. Okay? Jesus, you know, they have a good reason. Jesus attached to this common meal, the Passover meal. He attached this remembrance, this ritual. Gentiles do it. If you look at in history of, of the idols and the demons that they worship, they did the same thing. They would have a time of sacrifice to the demon and then have a, a meal. Okay? You know, the point here isn't when do you have the Lord's table? You have it an after a meal or during a meal or before the sermon or after the sermon or whatever. The point of it is, is it important? Is it important? The point is not whether you do it every Sunday you're together or every potluck you're together or whatever you do. The point is do it. Obey what the Lord says. Exercise the privilege. Exercise the opportunity of fellowshipping around the cross of Jesus Christ. Like I said, I think the Corinthians contributed to the death of the love feast. We'll deal with that in the perversion of it. But I want you to understand this because the meaning of the communion table, the meaning of the Lord's table seems to have gotten lost. It had gotten lost in this church in Corinth. This is 50s. This is 30 years after the resurrection of Christ. And they had lost it. Have we lost it? If you look at this text, you will understand that the love feast and the celebration of the Lord's table had become an exercise in selfishness. You know what? I have watched God both biblically and experientially deal with it. He deals with selfish people. He flat out deals with it. Here in the church in Corinth, there were some of them were sick and there were some of them were weak and some of them had died. Why? The love feast and the Lord's table had become a time of self-aggrandizement. When the truth of the matter is, the communion table is a point of saying, I am dead. He even says that they're mocking and blaspheming the cross. You know what I've learned? God really don't tolerate that. 
Now listen, I'm going to close with this thought. Okay? I want you to think about this. This is trouble when your pastor's been with you as many years as I've been. In the past years of this church, we've had chosen people, a Jewish ministry, preaching the gospel to Jews, um, um, come in and do the Passover meal. Remember? Okay? We sometimes do the little quick one where they come out and here's the cup and here's the thing you hide the crackers in and, or bread or whatever it is, matzah. I don't know what it is. Anyway, you hide all that stuff in. And here's Elijah's cup and here's a bowl and here's something that's really horseradishy and here's something that's sweet. And, remember? And it all has symbolism in it. Okay? Remember the last time we had them here? Anybody? Had a full-blown meal. Had lamb. And I mean, we had people coming out bringing us to plates and all the rest of it. You know how many people were there? Almost 90 people. A lot not from our church. You know what's the tragedy about that? That's a shadow. When I take the Lord's table, that's real. Why would I be willing to sacrifice time to come out and see the shadow and not partake of the real? That's the priority. Why? I want to see the symbol. No, man. I want the real. I enjoy, don't get me wrong. I enjoy seeing the Passover meal. I enjoy that. But you know why? Because I'm on this side of the cross. And I can say, I know why. I know Elijah has come. He done been here. We don't have to hide crackers no more. I don't have to worry about the leaven. Who's got the leaven? I don't have to worry about any of that no more. Now I can come and say, I stand. I understand the body broken for me. I take it in remembrance because that's my body. And I drink that cup. And I say, I have a covenant. A covenant that is in the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen, it ain't the blood of a bullock that Abraham got put to sleep and he walked through. God said, that's my blood. I walked through that and guess what? You're no longer your own. And every time you do this until I return, you're remembering that you're dead and I'm alive in you. That's the Lord's table. That's why when you look at this text and you think God is making people sick and weak and killing some, wow, how mean and cranky is he? No. He says, you don't understand. You are communing in the unity and oneness that I am, not who you are. Listen, you do not have a ministry. You do not possess a ministry. You cannot obtain a ministry. Jesus Christ ministers through you. And if you touch the glory, don't be surprised if you get weak and sick or die. When I go to Russia, when I was in Russia and teaching, you know that's not my ministry. That's our ministry. Do you know what a joy it was to be a dead ahead, day ahead of you and knowing that that evening or whenever, I never did understand it, 12 hours I think it was, 
I was partaking in the communion table with these beloved brothers and sisters in Russia, and the only thing I could think about was my precious brothers and sisters here in Castle Rock would be later this afternoon in the same union that I'm in. When I was in Israel two years ago, do you know what a blessed time I had going down to the Sea of Galilee? The sun had just come up and just getting a glistening on the Sea of Galilee. And I had my prayer book with every one of your names in it laying right there where Jesus walked on the water and could petition the king on your behalf. And that ain't my ministry. That's you guys. We commune with Jesus Christ and the fellowship of his suffering and the joy of his covenant. And none of us are exempt from it. Let us covenant today, not with me, covenant with him that that cup and that cracker has a whole different perspective than it does from this point on. That's what the Apostle Paul's saying. This is a Lord's table celebration, brothers and sisters. This is a Lord's table celebration. And we minister together and the fellowship of the saints serving one another. Because you know what we need in this church more than anything in the world right now? Is to understand that we are desperately dependent on one another. Why? Because in two weeks, you and I are coming to the cross of Calvary. And when we come there, we'll take the bread, we're going to take the cup. And you and I cannot be divisive because the unity is not what you and I made. The unity that exists is the cross. Why? I'm dead. You ever heard a dead man complain for his rights or his ways or his ministries or I would think we ought to do it this way or I hate tradition or I don't think we should change it? No. Why? I'm hung on a cross. don't matter no more. It's all dead. The only thing you see is Christ. And that's what Paul a little worked up about in this church. We'll look at the perversion of it next week. Father, I come to give you the praise and the glory for what you've shown me. And Lord, I pray that my precious brothers and sisters heard. Father, that they see the, 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 the Lord's table as an awesome time of celebration. But Lord, that they also understand its priority, its importance. And that, Father, that they will bow before this. And Father, they will do it with love in their hearts and joy springing forth that it is no longer we who live, but it is Christ who lives in us. Father, I thank you for the privilege of that supper, that last supper. Father, I thank you for the privilege of your indwelling spirit. Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray that each of us received it with great joy. Father, we rejoice in the the thrill of our salvation. Father, we rejoice that that death was for us. In Christ's name, amen.